Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by Everag Insights. Each week we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is Wednesday, July 26th. December 23 corn is down 18 cents, trading 547 and a quarter, with new crop November 23 soybeans trading down two and a quarter cents at 14.17 and a half. Joining us today, it's our privilege to have Jake Kingsley, Director of Feed Procurement for Everag. Thanks for joining us again today, Jake. Thanks for having me, Britt. It's a pleasure to be here. Jake, markets have been wild the last week, week and a half or so. And one of the things that the markets have been buzzing about is Russia's exit from the Black Sea trade deal. As we think about the implication that that may have on global markets, how do you see that potentially playing out and how could that have an impact on U.S. exports, an area that the market has already begin to challenge the current USDA projection? Well, I think first things first, a lot of the concern around the Black Sea had already been built into the markets by and large. I mean, we've been dealing with this for, what, a year and a half now, and the market has already been cautious of everything that's happening over there and built in some fairly sizable premium, I think. What we've seen driven more than anything here recently Probably wheat values getting a little bit stronger with concern of shipments coming out of there. And then that's been supportive to everything else. We've seen, as you mentioned, corn and and soybeans really rally here in the last week or two, a little bit on the tail of wheat and also on some hot and dry weather forecasts in the Midwest. So I think there's definitely going to be some long-term ramifications of shipping capacity out of the Black Sea because Russia is now damaging what I would call critical infrastructure there at the ports. But for this year, Ukraine really operates on a very similar crop cycle to us. So they've largely shipped most of what they were going to ship for this crop year question will be just how bad is the damage and what does this shipping lane look like when we get into, say, October and November when maybe they have another crop coming off and and have the ability to fill that pipeline. How are they able to execute on exports at that point? Jake, you brought forward a really good point. A lot of the Ukrainian corn has been exported and some of the other products that they, you know, push out into the global market. So we do have maybe a bit of time here before harvest happens and the rest of the world is looking for exports out of Ukraine. As we look at export business out of the U.S., do you think there's a chance that we could see U.S. exports pick up something that might be somewhat supportive to prices? Or do you think that globally we've seen a downtick enough in demand and supplies are ample enough to cover the needs of the world? I think there's certainly the chance that other buyers could come in and and source some grain from us to displace what they're going to lose out of Ukraine. But I think our balance sheets at the moment account for a little bit of that. And so then the question becomes, how far ahead on their inventories are countries such as China and other places in Southeast Asia with their current shipping programs out of South America so that we can measure, okay, how much do they actually have to displace from Ukraine and come get from us? And then do they have enough stored away that they can get by with minimal usage from the US and wait it out for another South American crop early next spring to fill some of that void. So 
I think those are a couple questions we have to answer first to really know, but there certainly is a chance that if this escalation continues in the Black Sea and that pipeline is completely shut down, then sure, we could see some demand come back to our market here. One of the other things that's really had the market vacillating higher and lower has been weather. And that's pretty normal for this time of year as the market's trying to reconcile perceived production against perceived demand. How are forecasts shaping up and how might you see this playing out and crop conditions being impacted and ultimately yields? Well, I think first yields are already pretty heavily in question just from the poor start we had there in May and June. So it's really kind of a little bit of a guessing game at this point as to what kind of damage that has already done to the crop. But forecasts, I think have been trending a little hotter and drier, particularly moving into the Midwest over the course of this weekend. I know a lot of folks are pollinating and the crop already looks fairly uneven from a height perspective and as well as how tasseling has progressed across the country. So putting some hot, dry weather to this thing while we already don't have much subsoil moisture is just going to strain this thing further. And I think that's probably one of the bigger reasons why we've seen this run in grain future over the course of the last week or two. I know we're off pretty heavily in corn here today, but it's still very much a strong market here in the short term, it feels like. Jake, it seems like everybody's got the same thoughts running through their head. Everybody wants to believe that in the last decade since the big drought of 2012, we've seen a massive increase in the amount of technology that has been bred into these various hybrids. Certainly, we've improved our agronomic practices in the last decade. But yet there's part of us in our gut that knows, based upon history, that it's hard to work through these challenging weather environments without having some kind of impact on yield. And I think that all of this is yet to be seen and to be played out, but it does seem like that is impacting volatility and we're getting a lot of this yin and yang as a result. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the fact of the matter is we just have not had a situation like this before. You can reflect on 2011 and 2012 and and see some parallels there, but we flat out did not get the rain back then and it killed the crop and we have 10-year better genetics now and it looks like the crop bounced back and responded really well when we did start to get some rains there at the end of June and start of July. The question now becomes, how does that affect the ear on the corn crop, right? I think beans have a little bit more grace in their growing season. They hit their critical points a little later in the year and start to really determine yield a little bit later on in the process. And so they look better than corn, relatively speaking. But at the end of the day, I don't think anybody's really going to know what we have out there until you're running a combine through the field. I think you're right. And I think that's why we, we would expect volatility could stay really high in both of these markets um, until we do have more certainty around that that yield component. I think the other thing that's interesting and, and different about 2012 versus this year is that we had a lot more heat earlier in the season during 2012, whereas this is really the the largest extended period of heat across most of the Corn Belt that we've seen this year. And so I think that has given this crop a little bit more of a, a fighting chance, if you will. Yeah, I think so. I agree with you. I mean, like I said, it definitely looked like it bounced back quite a bit from that rain that we did catch. Is that a weather deal early on? Is it a matter of genetics improving? It's 
it's tough to say. You're a better agronomist than I am, so so I'll let you make the the final guess on it before we actually go to harvest here this fall. <laughs> well, we'll leave that to the pros for sure. But uh, it'll be interesting to see as we move into this August WASD what the USDA does with yield. I think there's going to be a lot of eyes watching both corn and soybean yield as we move closer to that report. Certainly, a report that has historically uh, brought some change to the yield front, both higher and lower depending on the growing season. Yep, and if I were to guess i would i would imagine that they do something similar to what they did last month in corn and trim yield maybe a little bit and also trim demand a little bit uh, and maybe apply a similar approach to beans kind of give this market a chance to absorb some of these changes a little bit at a time and not totally upset the apple cart here but definitely indicate that the crop is not going to be the record that we were hoping for when we started the season Definitely seems to be shaping up that way. Jake, you spend your time and energy studying and navigating the feed markets. When we think about the feed markets, what's kind of top of your mind right now? And what are some of the things that you're looking at on the horizon that could have an impact on the direction that these feed markets go? Not just from a futures perspective, but also on the basis side, because I think that's a big component to this flat price that ends up getting paid at the farm gate. Yeah, I think we've seen a little bit of a flip, especially in the basis market from what we had last year. The West was in really poor shape and paying quite a bit of premium to get feed out there. And the East felt like they had the better crop of the two halves. And we sort of flipped that this year. You know, you get Illinois and Indiana and on east of there. And those folks are the ones that seem to be struggling the most as far as, as crop conditions go. And you get to the West and really to the far edges of the West. And those folks, California, Arizona, Texas, some of those places started to catch some rain and put up some forages. So they've been able to drive basis lower. Now we have to be fairly diligent, say, hey, okay, is this a time to step in and get something bought here? We're nearing historically average numbers on some of these basis values. We're not quite there yet. Do we ever make a return to those historical ranges or is now a good time to step in and then try to pair up some futures on a a nice break with that to get the best overall price. I think the risk is we're just going to continue to see this volatility primarily driven by weather move this market fairly extremely over the course of a week or two, as we've just seen here. So you've got to be ready to take advantage of the opportunities when they're there and uh, protect against these rallies that we're, we're seeing here when forecasts start to shift a little bit hotter and drier. Jake, certainly appreciate your insights on this. And before you go, Jake, What's a quick update on what's going on in South America? We haven't uh, got an update on those folks. Can you give us a little bit of insight on what's going on down south? Yeah, so I think uh, last report they had cut Argentine yields yet again here to kind of wrap up their crop year. But the anticipation is for this coming growing season that both Argentina and Brazil will again increase acres a little bit as they tend to do and and have a good chance to bounce back to normal production, hopefully in both countries, and really help pad these global balance sheets. The shift into El Nino should be beneficial to Argentine weather patterns and hopefully help them break a little bit of this drought cycle they've been in for a couple of years now. Excellent. Well, we'll continue to monitor that situation as well because we know more than ever we're involved in a global market and things that are happening around the world have a huge impact on prices here domestically. 
Thanks for joining us again today, Jake. We certainly appreciate your insights. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, please subscribe to our podcast, give us a like, or tell a friend or two about us. Thank you to Corey Romero, our wonderful producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's production. At EverAg, we partner with every corner of the agriculture industry, from dairy to livestock, crops, and agribusiness, to deliver intelligent supply chain and risk management solutions. We are EverAg, everything agriculture. Learn more at www.ever.ag/everything.